This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Now, Women to Watch. Here's your host, Sue Rocco. Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm thrilled to be back in the studio tonight um, with a really incredible guest. I'm I'm so excited to share her story. Uh, Coming up in just a few minutes is filmmaker Melissa Davey. And as far as I'm concerned, Melissa epitomizes the phrase, it's never too late. So uh, sit tight for her story. She'll be with us in just a moment. Uh, Be sure to stay with us during the breaks where you will hear from our watch team of ongoing contributors. Carol Wyman for our Legal Watch, Dr. Marianne Ritchie from Jefferson University Hospital for our Health Watch, Mary Manzo, COO of Pathways Consulting, will be with us for our Tech Watch, and Holly Dowling, um, as always, for our wonderful inspirational Leadership Watch. And be sure to check out all things related to the show at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. And uh, we'd love for you to follow us on all of our social media pages as well. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Women to Watch. So now I would like to um, welcome to the show Melissa Davey, who is sitting with me in the studio this evening, which I'm thrilled about. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Susan. I'm going to try to get through this and cover all of my questions uh, and curiosity about your story. It's really inspirational to me for many reasons. And uh, one of the reasons right off the top I'll, I'll mention so that our listeners have a better understanding, you came to your calling, I'll say, uh, later in life. And what a courageous thing to go become a filmmaker at the age of 60. Yeah, no, actually, I was 65. When 65. I could, yes. OK, even better. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's start with your upbringing so we get a sense of how this all ties together. And, and I understand you grew up um, close to Philadelphia here in New Jersey, right? Uh, one of five children, yes, and um, moved around quite a bit as a young girl. So yes. talk about that for a few minutes. Yeah, I was born in New Jersey, um, just over the bridge, actually. Um, my mom was from Haddonfield, so you know the area. Yes, uh, I do. And we lived a few places in, in New Jersey until I was four, uh, and then we moved to New England and ended up moving um, several times. We were in Massachusetts, Connecticut, uh, Vermont, uh, and, you know, sometimes it would be two or three different places wow. within each of those states. Uh, so it was it was a little bit um, unusual, I found out, as I got older, because I met more and more kids who were born and raised in the same town, in the same house. Right. Um, and I was very uh, curious about that. Uh, but one of the great things about moving on a regular basis, is that you get to uh, really 
look into your own curiosity and you get to meet so many different people with Mm -hmm. so many different stories. Um, And you get to live and see different towns, different cities, uh, and different types of people and opportunities that go on in those places. So, you know, while there were a few times that I was slightly annoyed when I heard that we were going to move again. Just when you were settling in, perhaps? Just when I was settling in. Yeah, making friends. um, As I got older, the more I moved, the more I kind of got excited about it. And, you know, an example of how it worked for me fairly well was I can remember moving to Fairfield, Connecticut. Uh, And I think I, you know, the the years kind of blur sometimes when I try to place myself in each of these places. But I, I think I was around eight years old and we moved to Fairfield and it was the coolest town. And we moved into a really cool house and there were kids everywhere. I could see them. And as soon as we got out of the car... After a quick sweep through the house, I started just walking down the sidewalk and going up to each door and knocking on the door and saying, hi, I'm Melissa. And uh, do you have any kids here? And it would be, you know, it was that kind of a, I was able to do that. uh, Thank God, because the alternative would be, you know, my older brother had a little more trouble with that. It took him a little bit more time to reach out and make friends. So it was easy for me to make friends wherever I went. And it gave me some, and I don't, I didn't realize this till later, that it, it built this resilience in me so that I am able to make changes without feeling uh, too afraid of yeah. those changes. I would say as well, it seems to be an innate part of your personality, right? You were not a shy little girl who no. waited, you know, for people to come knocking on your door. You went out and, and did that. Right. And, and that was different from your, your siblings, perhaps. Right. You're, you're one of five. Um, I understand that dad was in the military for the a short time. In the yes, beginning. In the and beginning. And that's what prompted all of the moves. Uh, in New Jersey, uh, we were he was in the military. And then when he got into business, um, he moved into a couple of different business areas. And each of the jobs that he had the opportunity to take were in a different state or a different city. Mm-hmm. And off we would go. And I, I look back now... I never had the conversation with him. Um, he died when he was 51. Uh, but I know he was searching to find his place to feel good about what he was doing and to feel that he was improving upon himself. Mm. So I can relate to that because I did a lot of that yeah. in my careers throughout the years. Yeah. And, yeah. and what an interesting topic. You know, how do we find our place? Is it often from moving around or is it staying in one place and and taking opportunities you know that's an interesting discussion i think it's very interesting and it's one of the things that i study when it, when i'm trying to get people's stories or when i'm sitting down and talking with somebody i'm always curious as to how they grew up mm, did they too. grow up like me or did they grow up in one place one house a place that they can call home mm-hmm. And what was that like? And how did they expand themselves when they never left that area? Right. Or maybe they were left to go to school or, you know, traveled a bit. But but I have found that maybe I was a little bit judgmental about people at one time that stayed in one spot. Mm. But what I learned very clearly was that you could stay in one spot forever. But as long as you read, travel, and take advantage of every opportunity given you, you know, it's just like traveling and having many different experiences. You make them. 
you make those things happen. Yeah. You can learn where you are yes. or somewhere else. Yes. So, um, you know, you looked at it as kind of an adventure and exciting yes. and meeting new people. What was the toughest part? I think the toughest part was uh, integrating into new schools, like showing up um, September, you know, 3rd or whatever date it might be and not knowing anyone. Right. Not knowing a soul. You know, I may not have met anybody going to that school. The example of the Connecticut Connection, all those kids went to Catholic school and I went to public school. So they were not going with me the first day of school. So it was, you know, the overwhelming feeling of who do I choose? Which group do I try to break into? And that got harder as I got older because we did have a big move to Vermont uh, when I was in the entering the 10th grade. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a big shift. We moved from a different state to a new state, um, entered 10th grade not knowing a person in that school. Um, And I look back now and and think about how I integrated myself uh, into a school that had many cliques. Mm -hmm. There were very specific cliques. And my goal was to get my toe in each one. There you go. Be a floater. Yeah. So I was a a floater. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And, you know, and got to know, uh, all, you know, most of the kids in the school well enough so that I was comfortable. Yeah. And tell me, what, what were your aspirations? What did you want to be when you grew up at that time or in high school? You know yeah. what? I didn't know. You didn't know. I, okay. And I Which was, is more than. And honestly, I was, you know, people, you would hear people say back then, oh, you're going to be a teacher. You're going to be a nurse. You could be, you know, a librarian, whatever, whatever it was that the traditional uh, you know, aspirations for a young woman at that time. In the 70s. Yeah. In the 70s. Yeah, it was different. Yeah. Uh, okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to kind of jump a, a little bit ahead to um, you're getting married young and <laughs> that part of your life story. You're listening to Women to Watch. Stay with us as we hear from Carol Wyman for our Legal Watch. We'll be right back. Now, the Women to Watch Legal Watch. Hi, this is Carol Weinman with Legal Watch. Many parents look forward to sending their kids back to school. For them, it means freedom and return to a welcomed routine. But for parents of children with special needs, the start of a new school year is anything but exciting. Rather, it is filled with anxiety and apprehension. It often means transition for a child who hates change. And for parents of children with autism, A new environment can mean additional sensory concerns and unpredictability. Add to that the need to negotiate bus routes, revisit IEPs, and determine where there are gaps or inadequacies in services. The law requires that students are given a free public education that is tailored to their individual needs. It can be a battle to get your child the necessary support, and many parents of children with special needs approach the school year knowing this. Parents should reread the child's IEP before the school year begins. The IEP must be in place. Teachers cannot legally tell parents they need time first to observe the child before providing the accommodations agreed to. And parents need to understand that very little is off limits in what they can ask for. The key issue focuses on whether something is needed to enhance or facilitate your child's education. And that is not limited to academic needs alone. Many factors affect the ability of your child to learn. That is where the uniqueness of your child plays in. 
Your child in his or her individual capacity is entitled to services, plans, and accommodations to reach his or her highest potential possible. You don't need to do it alone. For more information, contact me at autismlegal.com. Attorney and leading autism expert Carol Weinman offers one-of-a-kind solutions to your legal and autism needs. Recognized nationwide as the one and only autism legal expert, Weinman delivers exceptional results. Weinman is a master at putting together pieces to create a remarkable outcome. Contact Weinman at 215-591-3614 or at autismlegal.com. That's autismlegal.com. Carol Weinman, the leading nationwide expert autism attorney. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. I'm speaking this evening with Melissa Davey, documentary filmmaker and the director of Beyond 60 Project, which we are absolutely going to speak about, your first film, and I hope one of many. Um, Another part that I would say is is a pivotal part of your story is is the fact that you married young and divorced young with two children. Yeah. So what I lessons mean, learned know, there? Lessons learned. By the yeah. time I was 23, I had two children. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time I was uh, 23, 24, by the time I was 27, I was getting divorced. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and I, I entered into that, I think, because of a general sense of insecurity that I had about my place in the world. I mean, after a little bit of therapy long ago, um, I started to piece those things together and mm-hmm understand that, you know, I was living in a place where a lot of people got married young. Um, And this is, you know, the late 60s into the early 70s. People were getting married younger, especially where I was living at the time. Um, So there, you know, I honestly, I I didn't think about it as deeply as I should have. And um, it was a security. It was a feeling of security uh, and place. Uh, And I, you know, I I felt like I had grown up very young, like I had matured um, in my ability to take care of day-to-day, you know, activities and make decisions and, you know, think forward, et cetera. So it, you know, it didn't phase me. I wasn't worried about getting married, having kids. I thought it was the next phase and, and the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, and it and having the kids was. Yeah. I mean, they're wonderful. Yeah. I mean, thank God I did it when we, I did. That's never and, a regret. Know, no, 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 never no. a regret. But um, not understanding what marriage should be um, and how I should approach it. Uh, I mean. Yeah, a little bit of regret there, but you can't live with regret. No, so you, it, just another lesson exactly, learned, another experience. Another piece of resilience added to that There bucket. you go. That's right. Right, right. So where were you then, and, and what were you doing um, from a career standpoint? In Vermont. You were in Vermont. I was in Vermont mm-hmm. with my toe starting in teaching. Okay. 
Um, and then I ended up in Connecticut. I was still married at the time and then back into Vermont. So and that's when, you know, um, I decided that I, I don't want to teach. I, you know, there's it's just not me there. Yeah. I was going through all of these growth spurts while I had children, uh-huh. obviously. So I had to pay attention to that. But I wasn't about to give up on myself, mm-hmm. you know, at that point in time. And I realized that I had some work to do on myself. Okay. And that's when I did a little bit of therapy and and that helped. And I was like, why am I going? Why am I not excited about the opportunity to become a teacher? Um, and and when I was real with myself, it was I wanted something more fulfilling. I wanted something uh, harder w- w- that I w- at least looked at and thought was this would be a major challenge. And I think teachers are awesome, and they're in my family, and I love them dearly, and thank God that they're there. But I don't think that I would have been a good one. <laughs> And I needed a little more excitement. Yeah. I think I think mm-hmm. it always led to I wanted to do something more exciting. And then legal services just sort of fell in my lap. Yeah. Tell the story of how, how that what was the catalyst for that the decision ca- to go into to legal services? Yeah, I ended up in um, Connecticut and I actually, you know, was reading an ad about this program that was doing training to develop paralegals. Uh, and have them specialize in different areas of poverty law. And I thought, you know, that sounds so interesting because my I've always helped people. I've always wanted to help people. I, I would bring home the stray dog and, you know, the, the poor snake that, that was losing its skin, whatever, whatever it was. I, <laughs> I was, didn't expect to hear that, the yeah, snake. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Turtles, dogs, that maybe. Too. But... That too. <laughs> um, but, you know, I just ended up in front of these lawyers in Connecticut talking about myself and listening to what they were uh, wanting to do. And I got hired. You know, just I didn't have experience. Hired to do what task? I was going to be a paralegal to do um, uh, welfare law um, and some educational law, which kind of fit with, with my interests. And at the same time, somebody was leaving and they were giving up their Social Security disability practice. So I was going to be um, given that opportunity as well. So I thought, wow, I, I don't even have to go to law school and I can learn all these areas of law, help people who are impoverished and having great difficulties and work with a team of, you know, Yale, Harvard graduates who were, you know, movers and shakers in, in the legal services world back then. It's yeah. when when there was a lot of funding for legal services. Gen X. Gen X, Gen X came later. That Gen X came later. Yeah. Okay. So I was in legal services in Connecticut, New Hampshire, and Massachusetts. Okay. And did and you have to get your paralegal? No. It, it was. Oh. It, you didn't go. Uh, paralegals traditionally in in uh, a typical law firm are are not doing the work that you did in legal services. Legal services paralegals were trained by the Legal Services Corporation. Oh, okay. So Got it was it. a different certification process. It mm-hmm. wasn't like going to get your uh, paralegal cert- certificate today, okay. where you would be an assistant to an attorney. This yes. was we we had our own caseloads. We did administrative work, um, you know, with very large caseloads of individuals, and you know, an attorney was our supervisor. Okay, and was there somebody there during those years that believed in you that that uh, became a mentor? And always, wherever I was. I sought out that person that I could learn from, but also the person that I connected with on on a deeper level, a personal level. 
And there were several of those people in each of these legal services locations that I went to that, I mean, they were amazing. Mm -hmm. They were amazing. They took me to court with them. We, you know, I I had an opportunity like nothing I ever imagined Mm -hmm. I would. Someone always helping to build the confidence for the next step. Yes. Uh, when we come back, we're going to take another break. I want to talk about community workshops, Inc., that, that you were involved in and uh, as vice president of development. You're listening to Women to Watch. Stay tuned for Dr. Marianne Ritchie for our Health Watch. We'll be right back. Now, the Women to Watch Health Watch. From Jefferson University, I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. It's my sister's annual Christmas party. Family, friends. Her neighbor learns I'm a doctor and says hope you don't mind. What do you recommend for constipation? Now this seems harmless, but it can be very awkward and even dangerous for both of us. Maybe it's not my field of expertise. Would you ask a dermatologist about your blood pressure medication? She may be asking about her Aunt Mary's constipation. The information can be inaccurate, misinterpreted, and even more confusing when she repeats it to Aunt Mary. It's not documented. There's no record of my exact words. And if it's a family member or friend, I don't know their full history and it may not be appropriate for me to know their full history because I'm not their doctor. Do I give advice without the full history and without a physical exam? Do I take them into a quiet room and examine them during a party? Probably not. So I could miss a diagnosis or suggest wrong treatment, which is a big disservice to the patient, and by the way, I could be sued. Plus, do you want advice from a doctor who's holding a glass of wine or watching her son row in a crew race? Well, soon after I saw the patient in my office, Blood tests showed a high calcium level. More tests found a tumor on her parathyroid gland. Now, is all constipation from a tumor? No. But if I had suggested some over-the-counter med, I could have missed a very serious diagnosis. In an emergency, no hesitation. I spring into action. I've done CPR on airplanes, at weddings, at receptions. But when someone asks for a casual, informal consultation, I say, I'm happy to help you make a list of questions to ask your doctor. I'll help you find the right doctor, and if it's my relative, I'll go to the doctor with you. So don't be offended if you don't get a quick fix, because a careful, thoughtful doctor wants to advise you the right way. Treat yourself like a diva. Avoid shortcuts. Go to your doctor's office for safe, complete care. Do you have a financial advisor who you trust that looks at you as more than just a number? At the Foley Hillsley Group, that person is Kristen Hillsley. Kristen's team has a different approach to managing your wealth called the Panorama Process. This unique process helps you obtain your financial goals easily because it's more than just investments, it's about you. To learn more, visit their website at fhbaird.com or call 610-238-6636. The Foley-Hilsey Group is affiliated with Robert W. Baird & Company, Incorporated Member SIPC. Log on to fhbear.com to learn more. That's fhbair.com. So if you need a financial advisor you can trust, call Kristen Hillsley at 610-238-6636. That's 610-238-6636. Introducing Pathways Consulting Group, a company that will align your IT needs with your business goals. Pathways is a full-service ServiceNow partner. What does that mean? It's simple. Pathways will collaborate and design, develop, and deploy solutions for your company today that will define tomorrow. Pathways will provide world-class enterprise service management solutions. 
Pathways Consulting Group. They listen, they care, they execute. Go to PathwaysCG.com. That's PathwaysCG.com. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. Welcome back. You're listening to Women to Watch, and I'm joined this evening by Melissa Davey, documentary filmmaker and the director of Beyond 60 Project. And just before the break, we were talking about your years in in legal services, which kind of, I would say, happened, uh, came about by happenstance or, you know, um, you read something and it piqued your interest. Um, And you were in that field for 12 years. Correct. And then you took a position as vice president of development for Community Workshops Incorporated. How did that come about? Well, actually, right before Community Connections, there uh, there was another um, there was another community service program on Cape Cod. I was uh, recruited to that by a woman named Alice. Love her to death. She became one of my mentors. She was working with me. At legal, she wasn't working at legal services. I was working at legal services, and we had a client, a disabled client, in common. So she and I got to work together. She was at Community Connections, I was at Legal Services, and we had this individual in common. And we got to know each other. And she came to me and said, "I want to bring you to Community Connections." So that was my next step. What 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 did she see in you that that made her want to do that? that I had this desire to learn and I had this desire to help people who were in trouble. Okay. Um, that, that it was a need that, and it was a curiosity of how can we make this program better? What do we need to do to make things better? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that I didn't stop and I was easy to work with, I guess. That's what she said one time. <laughs> That's um, a great quality. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so from there, I was then recruited to community workshops up in Boston. Okay. Um, and that's America's oldest sheltered workshop. Mm-hmm. And there, you know, it was parlaying some of that um, experience I had received on Cape Cod into the program uh, in Boston. But I, when I met with the CEO there, they wanted me to take over the marketing and development. And soon enough, I had that vice president title and was kind of sitting there in awe and looking backwards saying, now, how did this path happen? Mm. And, you know, and, and it's always connections, taking detours, meeting with people that you wouldn't have met if maybe you didn't take that left turn. Yeah. Um, and talking with them and connecting with them. Mm-hmm. And it's always led me somewhere to the last several jobs being recruited to them. Um, you and know. not being afraid. No. Or perhaps being afraid, but well, doing it anyway. Right. You know, there's always a little fear. Right. But, right. I, you know, I'm a strong proponent to say, you know, don't let the fear get be- the better of you because you will miss an opportunity. Yeah. Um, I want to jump ahead just because I want to make sure we have enough time for, you know, the, your main story. Right. Um, in 1994, you were recruited to Gen X. Correct. Which was the largest managed care organization in North America. Still is. Um, and you were brought on to develop... Um, a national disability case management program there. How did that come about? And what do you think they saw in you and knew of your reputation uh, to recruit you for that? If we go back to legal services days, I became an expert, considered an expert anyway, in the field of social security disability. And I did a lot of work in Washington and I trained lots of attorneys and paralegals throughout the United States on social security issues. So that became my passion, and it was something that I loved, but I had never built a program. 
And, um, you know, for a very, very short time, I worked for another company uh, that did Social Security work. And the reason that I went to them uh, outside of legal services was to understand the for-profit business model uh, and, and how you would sell to a disability insurance carrier um, and why they would want their clients to have the same services that the poor client at legal services had. So I was recruited by Gen X because they had heard about my legal services and you know brief stint at this for-profit organization. And they tracked me down at a, um, it was like a conference uh, for the disability marketplace, insurance carriers and whatnot. And um, I was there and somebody came looking and said, are you Melissa? And we'd like to talk with you. Mm-hmm. And it started that way. And it was wow. a diversion. I was actually in Philly, wasn't living here. I was living in Boston. Okay. But I was in Philly to talk to an insurance carrier about the work, ended up meeting with them late at night on a stormy night um, and making the decision as I drove back to Boston, which I couldn't even finish the drive because the the uh, snow was so bad. Um, but I made the decision that, my God, why would I not try this? But I had to get home to my new husband. We'd only been married a year or two and see if he would be willing to give up his law practice to follow me from the Boston area to Pennsylvania so that I could try to build a program. And how did that discussion go? It went really well. Good. How old were your kids at that time? Oh, my kids were college then. Oh, they were college. Okay. Yeah. So it was, you know, it didn't take him long to look at me and say, you know, I've been doing what I've been doing forever. And if this is really an opportunity that, you know, you want to try, let's do it. Mm. You know, and I... He has done that so many times during our marriage. Now that I think back of the compromises he's made or his willingness to follow me or quietly support me while I struggle through um, the next thing that I wanted to do, it's pretty amazing. That's a gift. Yeah. That is really wonderful. Um, Before we get into what you're doing today, were you, did you always have the dream of being a filmmaker? Yeah, and and a lot of people didn't know because I, I was going to say, do, did you share that, or was it just kind know, of something you a, a really dreamt? You were just dreaming, dreaming. Yeah, I think I was nine when I read my first uh, filmmaker book that I took out of a bookstore uh, in Connecticut, and and I was just so curious as to how they would make films and what the process was and the whole storytelling aspect of it. My life is built around stories, Mm -hmm. reading them, hearing them, telling them, and what a great way to do it uh, through film. Yes. Um, And I knew some kids that dabbled in doing film work back then. Uh, And as I got older and I was was always hanging out with them watching, I had some cousins that played with it. I was always just very interested when they would talk about it. But you never studied or took courses or any of that? No. No. No educational background? None. Tell us the um, opportunity you had to sit with M. Night Shyamalan. Okay. Well, uh, coming back from Washington, D.C. one day uh, after a, a terrible congressional meeting, that I, it was like deja vu on Social Security issues, that uh, same meeting for six years in a row, Groundhog Day kind of a thing. And I got back up to Philly early. Uh, it was around lunchtime, and I decided not to go back to work because I was too frustrated you know, and I was, you know, almost 65 then. Um, and I decided to call a friend 
ended up with her in her car, picking up her daughter from school and dropping her off at a horse barn in Chester Springs. She said, you know, I think they're making a movie over there. Look at those lights. That was and the I, moment. Yeah. Okay. And I saw it and I thought, I, they're definitely making a film and I bet I know who it is. And we pulled over and I Googled M. Night Shyamalan and up came on his website the picture of what we were sitting next to in the car, which was a bunch of craggly trees looking down a long driveway. And, and it, you know, M. Night Shyamalan making a micro-budget film in Chester County, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, that's it. So we talked very briefly at that moment, my friend and I, about my dream. I wish I could, was doing that. Oh. Boy, I wish I was in there right now. She yeah. said, you should go say hello. And I'm like, no, you don't do go that. Go say hello. No, no, yeah. no, no. And so on his website was a button that said Charity Buzz, and I pushed it. And it was win a day on the set with M. Night Shyamalan. And I, you know, long story short, I started bidding. Uh, eventually went home and told my husband, I'm, I'm up to $5,000. Is that okay? He said, so you must really want to do this. <laughs> and I said, it's like a dream to be put there that day. I should have been at work. Yes. And so I'm pushing the button, and I won the day wow. on the set. Wow. And sat with him for 10 hours and walked with him and rode a train with him and all of the crew and saw this film being made firsthand. Wow. Wow. Hold that thought. When we come back, we're going to hear the rest of the story. I'm speaking to Melissa Davey, documentary filmmaker and the director of Beyond 60 Project. Uh, we're going to hear from Holly Dowling now for Inspiration Watch. Stay with us. Women to Watch. Leadership Watch. Hi, everybody. Holly Dowling here with your Leadership Watch. And today, I want to challenge everybody. It's time to start making the list of to be and stop with the to-do list. Yes, you heard me. We as human beings, whether we're leading others or not, well, frankly, you all know how I feel. You're a leader every day by showing up in this world and how we choose to influence everyone around us. How much of our time do we spend consumed around creating the to-do list every day of our life? The challenge today is how about the to-be list versus the to-do list? The to-be list. Who do you choose to be in this world? Who are you choosing to stand up to be? How are you choosing to be? And how are you choosing to live? You see, so much time is spent on thinking about what we need to do that we've lost sight of who we choose to be. So take the challenge today. Would you take out a piece of paper wherever you are and if you don't have seven minutes, take three minutes and start taking a seven-day challenge and begin writing, who do you choose to be? Just put that at the top of a piece of paper. And as a leader of others, I beg you to take this challenge and give everyone around you permission to start making their to-be list. We have lost sight of who we are in this world and who we choose and want to be. And that's no one else's decision but yours. And you don't need anyone's permission to begin really rekindling the spirit of who you choose to be in this world. How do you choose to show up? How do you choose to lead? Who and how do you want to be remembered? And I leave you with this. What's your word? Choose a word that embodies how you want people to feel when they leave your presence. Mine is joy. So I'd love to hear from you. Please reach out hollydowling.com. 
is Holly Dowling. Holly is a dynamic keynote speaker and inspirational thought leader. You see what we have the ability to do and the power we have. You hold the power for good. Each and every one of us can do something. Holly has inspired millions around the world, including over 500,000 executives, and her show is listened to in 87 countries. Now we're gonna spend 25 minutes on your areas of opportunity. Listen to our internationally acclaimed podcast, A Celebration of You, Holly Dowling, empowering those who can change the world. HollyDowling.com. You're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. Thanks for being with us tonight. I'm, I'm so excited and enjoying my conversation with Melissa Davey, um, who's telling us her life story of going from being a little girl who moved around uh, the country um, to being a teacher, to working in um, the legal services, and and now she's a filmmaker, and it's really an inspirational story. So you won a day with M Night Shyamalan, who is a yes. famous director, and gosh, what you know in. I was blown away, and I, in a way that, you know, it was reminiscent of things that happened to me as a kid, where I would take that detour, and something would happen, and I would get this warm and fuzzy feeling, and this one I hadn't felt in a long time. Mm. And when we were at lunch, sitting for a lunch break, and he looked at me, and he said, what do you do? And I, you know, you try to explain to a filmmaker your insurance, disability, social security world, and he looked at me with a twinkle in his eye. And kind of laughing and said, well, what do you really want to do? And I said, I want your job. He said, well, you better hurry up. Is that what so he that's, said? I yeah, mean, it that was, was that it. simple. Mm. And he would not remember that that was a conversation at all, I'm sure. It was kind of tongue in cheek, but it meant something to me. And, it, and I was confirming with myself, oh, my God, I never did this. And I've always wanted to try it. I love that he recognized in you something to ask, well, what do you really want to do? Because you're not yeah. here because you work in, you know, yeah. disability, yeah. Social, social security. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. So you leave from that day, that wonderful I experience. That day and, and I go home and tell my husband that I am going to quit my corporate job and become a filmmaker. Wow. So once again, he wasn't totally shocked because he, he's been with me for, you know, 26 years. You've shared with him your dream? No, I mean, he knew I loved film. Okay. And maybe he'd heard me say, gee, I wish I could do that. I wish I had tried that mm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I didn't sit there lamenting about never having done it. So was he a little surprised? Maybe. Um, and so, I, you know, I just made a plan to give a very long notice because I had to, um, you know, tell Gen X that not only was I leaving. And I told them that within the next couple of days. Wow. Um, but I had a year to plan for the film and exit strategy for Gen X to get the next, you know, VP in place to run the division, et cetera, because I had built it and ran it for since its inception. So during that next year, I, you know, I, I was readying myself for this film so that by the time I walked out the door in December of 2015 from Gen X, I had already started the film. I already had made a partnership with a production company in Philadelphia. I had done my first three interviews, and I had an actual plan as to what I thought that this film could look like. Wow. So, you know, it, yeah. it was a calculated risk. Yes. It was a risk for sure because you're walking away from the finances associated with a, you know, a very, very good uh, career. And 
and you have to uh, raise funds to do the film. Yes, correct. It correct. wasn't self-funded. It was mostly Part- self-funded, partially. Okay. And then, um, as soon as I left GenX, I went to Sundance in January of 2016 with my new laptop and my new little teaser and my idea. And just, you know, I showed that to many people and got enough feedback that was positive to keep my, you know, excitement level up high. Met the president of United Healthcare and uh, showed him my teaser. And within a couple of months, I was talking to their marketing department and they became our first sponsor. That's fantastic. Yeah, it was a dream. Yes. Dream. So, two questions. Um, do you think your ability to really jump right in full steam ahead, not hem and haw and should I, you know, was because of your age, where as the older we get, the more we realize that life is a blink. Yes. Right? How yes. short? Is, was that a big part of you? you Absolutely. Know, okay. And people have said, oh, gee, I bet you wish you had done this when you were younger. And my answer is, I don't think I would have been ready. Right. I yeah. took all of my experiences, all of my failures, and believe me, there are many. Uh, that I learned lessons from. And I was now the most confident uh, in saying that I can do this. I could actually learn how to do anything I really wanted to learn to do. And I wanted to be a filmmaker and make a film. Let's talk about the film, Beyond 60 Project. What is it about? It's it's a series of interviews with women uh, ranging in age from uh, 62 to 85. Wow. And uh, it's showcasing their resilience and their continued relevance as they age. I absolutely did not want to go after celebrities. I wanted everyday women like me who would not be considered extraordinary women. um, And you would pass them on the street and not even notice them, possibly. But they have extraordinary stories. Mm -hmm. And they're doing very cool things. And younger women can learn from them. Men can learn from them. I can learn from them. And that was the whole idea of getting women's stories out there because they're not readily available. That's right. And they should be heard. Um, And we're at a time when there's a lot of focus on women and women's issues. And it felt like the timing was right to start bringing as many women as possible forward to hear their stories and be pretty surprised and maybe even shocked at what it is that they're doing now. Yeah. Tell me your your why for that obviously you know i know why i believe we need to share women's stories what is your vision why why do we need to do that why is it important women are amazing people as we know and um we were once and and some would argue that we still are um a population of people who are below men who don't have equal value to men um and, and it's just, it's never been true, and it's very not true right now um, in these times. And I think that the more we hear stories from women who have been pretty much silenced, especially if you go back in time, mm-hmm. we didn't get the uh, right to vote until 1920. Hard to believe. Why? Yes. So our stories are important, and they're very, very interesting, and we can learn from them. Yes. For sure. I am so thrilled to have the opportunity to meet you and share your story. And, and there's so much more. Where can people find you and information about the project? Uh, the just film? go to www.beyond60project.com. 
uh, and you can find out that we are currently, we're finished with our, our production, and we are applying now submissions to film festivals. Okay. I can't wait. I can't wait. Thank, Thank you so you. much, Melissa. Thanks. Uh, stay with us for Mary Manzo for our Tech Watch. Coming up, you're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. We'll be right back. Now, the Women to Watch. Tech Watch. Hi, I'm Mary Manso from Pathways Consulting Group. Women in technology, where are you? Ada Lovelace, born in 1815, developed an algorithm for a computer that didn't exist, and some would say she was the first computer programmer in theory. Hedy Lamarr, a screen actor from the 1920s, conceptualized the idea of frequency hopping. Her legacy lives on in the world of wireless technologies. Dr. Erna Hoover, born in 1926, invented a telephony switching program. Her 1971 patent for this technology was among one of the first software patents ever issued. The women were visionaries and problem solvers. They changed the direction of technology as we know it today. But with so many examples of strong women influencing technology, why are there such a depletion of women in this space? In the mid-80s, women made up 37% of computer science degrees. Today, women only make up 20%. Additionally, they make up less than 20% of U.S. tech jobs. In 2018, only 23 women headed the nation's 500 largest corporations. Even with my business, we're having challenges finding women candidates for tech roles. And one of our offices is located near some of the greatest universities in the country. Of all the job fairs we participated in over the course of the last few years, the resume collection from women, zero. So why does this matter? Women are excellent problem solvers, awesome at multitasking, and incredible relationship builders. Women trust their intuition and are persuasive. Women seek challenges and are equality-minded. Studies show when men and women working together successfully, the result is a more innovative workplace. Let's face it, innovation in technology is critical. Stay tuned for my segment next week that addresses the steps to help closing the gap. You can reach me at mary at pathwayscg.com. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. What a great show with Melissa Davey uh, we had. And, and I'll be sharing a lot more information around her film that will be coming out, Beyond 60 Project. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at womentowatch.net to stay in the loop on all things related to the show and our website to sign up for our newsletter and see who's in our lineup. We have an incredible list of women uh, scheduled to be on the show. Thank you for tuning in to the real story behind her title. Have a great week, everyone. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management.